Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. And then Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. All you have to do is click on the... Oh, I'm going to say it. The 2020, the year of perfect vision icon or logo of in the upper right-hand corner of the website, and you'll be able to listen to the program. But I highly recommend that you listen to the podcast. Why? We only get 50 minutes on the radio at a time. And sometimes we go longer than that with our guests. If they're available, we will draw out of them more and more information and insight and inspiration and encouragement. Uh, We might go an hour. An hour and 15, 20, 25 minutes, and there might be a kernel in there that you need to hear. So please go to the podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many, many others. Click on the guest's name or the grocery cart in the SoundCloud upper right-hand corner of the player. And it'll take you to their website where you can continue your evolutionary process. And uh, we also encourage you, if you like what we are doing and you'd like to support us financially, we do have a PayPal and Patreon accounts. And uh, we would greatly appreciate uh, your uh, support financially. We thank those who have and those who will. And we'll even take energetic support as well. So uh, whatever you're able to uh, support us with, we thank you for it. We thank you for it and greatly appreciate it. Our program today is uh, going to be uh, dedicated basically to the continuation of 2020, the year of uh, perfect vision, that inner vision we're talking about, that going within to find the answers that we need. But today we're going to, and I love the way this is phrased, you know, in the Declaration of Independence, it talks about how we have these inalienable rights, supposedly God-given rights. Of life, liberty, and it's not limited to these. And then there's the pursuit of happiness. We get to pursue happiness, but I don't know if we get it. Well, maybe our guests can help us to find out. What we're going to do today, though, is, and this is according to the title of her book, today with uh, Janine uh, Bolin, we are going to find the divine. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Tell Me Your Story. Well, thank you, Richard. It's really fun to be here. I'm looking forward to what we discussed today. Are we going to find the divine today? Well, that is kind of dependent on each individual on how fast they want to move or how slow they wish to move. So we will see. I have found my path. I have found my divine. But that that is very much an individual endeavor, or as I like to say, the path of the mystic. Now, this is actually Volume 2, A Glimpse into the Realm of God. Um, Where is the realm of God? Mm. If you can put it on a map. Yeah, yeah. That's that's been something that people have been talking about for a long time, haven't they? Um, I, I can't put it into Google Maps, and it'll show me where it is on the map anywhere I've taken it. Well, you know, sometimes you can find paradise in Nevada, right? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It just depends on uh, what you're looking for. I can assure you that any time you start looking for the divine in an external way, that you will find failure. Ouch. Yes, yes. So I like to kind of just put a pin in that, because sometimes people... Uh, have been raised in a paradigm where uh, God is this being that sits on a cloud somewhere up in the sky, and we even talk about the divine and we'll point upwards as if we can look up above the stratosphere and see where the divine is, but I was trained as an analytical biochemist, and so cosmology is really my thing, and I can assure you that the more you search and the more you seek external of yourself, uh, the bigger and bigger the universe gets, and the more expansive and the more incredible, beautiful, but it won't get you what you want. You actually have to go within to find that divinity that you're seeking. Well, there is a, uh, I may actually pull this up here in a little bit, but there's a great poem that uh, I uh, found uh, by uh, the author's last name is, uh, I believe it's Tiberius, uh, having to do with... Uh, um, finding finding God, finding uh, the ways of being God. 
and it's a conversation amongst, so to speak, amongst the gods or the angels, if you will. And, and uh, they've got to figure out how to keep man from figuring this out because then their, their um, uh, job, if you will, will be in jeopardy. So they start discussing where to hide it. And they say, well, let's hide it on a mountaintop. No, no, no. Man will find a way to climb and get to the top. Um, how about we put it in the depths of the sea? No, man will find a way to do that. And da, 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 da. And of course, they go through all of the stuff. And finally, one of them chimes in and says, I got it. Perfect place. Let's hide it in his heart. He'll never look there. And really, <laughs> that seems to be the truth that we seem to be, what, afraid to go within? Well, you're not really giving a gold star for going within. Um, you know, anytime that somebody starts talking about meditation, one of my favorite things to do is I walk into a group of people that are very much like business owners or very highly engaged in their external lives and start talking about contemplation and meditation and start watching the eyes roll. Because you're, you know, there's no way to, some people would say there's no way to make money sitting in the dark by myself, Right. Uh, some people would say, why would I want to just sit someplace and stare at the back of my eyelids? I'll sleep if I need that kind of, you know. There isn't really a gold star or a benchmark that you can, you know, tantalize or give a reward to people that, that do that. You actually have to experience it. One of my favorite metaphors comes from a Hindu saint, who uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, who says, <laughs> I can show you an orange. I can slice up the orange. I can help you smell the orange. I can describe it to you, but you have to eat it to understand the benefit of it. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is you kind of have to go on your own journey internally to figure out, you know, what is the benefit to you. And if you stick with it long enough, you start to figure that out. But there's that little interim of practice that's required. And, and just like if you're practicing a musical instrument, it's not going to be peaches and cream when you're first starting off. It's going to be a few rocky roads that you're going to have to master or get over, you know. Well, and, and I couldn't agree with you more in that regard. Are there cultures elsewhere around the world? And obviously you mentioned one of my favorites, of course, um, Autobiography of Yogi is my metaphysical primer, as I like to call it. It's where I kind of started my search. But are there cultures elsewhere around the world other than that, that prize that inner journey more than the outer, uh, even if it's just a little bit more? Uh, right. Well, I'm, I'm going to describe two that I had personal experience with. The first was um, during my elementary school years, I lived in Sasebo, Japan, and this was 1969, roughly through 1974, so that time frame. And one of the things I loved doing was I would run to school, and then after I got done at school, I'd run home and I'd go up to Sasebo Temple, and I'd be able, I was allowed to meditate with the monks there. And I wish I could say I was a prodigy and, and that I was very good at, you know, um, and that I was trying really hard to be good. Well, actuality, I just wanted their almond cookies. They would, <laughs> they would give me almond cookies. Nice. <laughs> yes, yes. See, so I was all about the cookies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, but I did notice that these these monks had an air about them that I didn't see with other people. So for my young mind, for my young heart, I just was constantly drawn there. I was drawn to the huge bells that they would ring, ring with these amazing apparatus. And so the little engineer in me loved the way the temple worked, you know, the day-to-day workings of the temple. But, but there was an air about these individuals that I found particularly peaceful. Well, then go forward a little faster in time from 1975 to 1980, I was uh, in a small island called Eleuther in the Bahama Islands, and there I was getting my catechism from a Roman Catholic priest, while at the same time I was being taught uh, the cycles of the 12-year cycle of the moon uh, from voodoo priestesses, the tides and more cosmology uh, on that from these voodoo priestesses that were there on the island. And so that, by side training spiritually, kind of guided me that 
One was teaching me that I needed to fear the Lord. The other was telling me the beauties of creation. So, again, my little mind, my little uh, childlike heart, saw that the voodoo priestesses were on to something because there was a energetic influence around them that I couldn't really describe, but I just felt better around them rather than dealing with the wrath of a very angry patriarch. So with that juxtaposition in my world, um, my father was like, okay, I put in my 20, I'm going to retire, and we went to southern Missouri. And that was by far the biggest culture shock I ever had because there um, I was very much in the Bible Belt and was exposed to Christianity from a uh, southern Missouri perspective, from the Baptist and Pentecostal mindset. So to answer your question about different cultures, yes, there are many cultures that I've seen that really recommend that you go within before you start mouthing off or or think about what you're (laughs) saying or expressing to other people. And I'd have to say that the Japanese and voodoo priestesses that I was affiliated with you would ask a question, and they were quite slow to answer. You had to be patient. And when I got to America, it was where I felt rushed all the time, because people were demanding that you move faster. And it was just a, a culture difference. So, yes, is the answer to your question. There are tribal and societal mores where speed is necess- not necessarily the way to roll. And it's interesting how um, our our view of God also uh, uh, colors our view of self uh, and what we've been taught, especially as children. Now, I never really um, incorporated the aspect of suffering, uh, being born and raised a Catholic, uh, into my life. Uh, was there suffering? Eh, maybe so from time to time, but but... Not in the way in which most people would think of it. I mean, you know, you fall down, you scrape your knee. Okay, that hurts a little bit. There's a little suffering, but, you know, that goes away, and then you get up and move on. Um, But as we grow up and we move forward in our lives, again, it's that outer world that starts to continue to color our our worldview and our um, perspective and the way we're going to deal with it. And then we start, you know, it's like you fall down as an adult, you scrape your knee and it hurts for a little while. But for some reason, we choose to continue suffering long after the pain is gone. And um, and I just use that as a metaphor because it could be a a mental, an emotional or even a spiritual hurt, if you will. Um, Have you found that that inner life has helped you to reframe the outer world as an adult so as not to spend time in the suffering mode? I'd have to say I threw off the last shackles of that. Uh, And I remember the day, which is really saying something for me, because I'm a single mom with four teenagers. And (laughs) um, for me to remember an exact day and time, it has to be fairly significant. And one of those was in December 26th of the year 2010. That was when I threw off the last shackles of the unworthiness card that a lot of your mystics, I'm sure that you've had on this amazing show, have talked about, that we all have uh, human beings in general, no matter what culture or society, pretty much have abandonment issues of one kind or another. You know, we ask the question of, my God, what have I done? Why am I here? Right? There's that abandonment feeling of what is the purpose of this or what is this all about? And then if you go a little deeper, then as people start to get answers to that question, whether through meditation or through other kind-hearted human beings around them, uh, then the next question kind of comes up of, am I worthy for the blessings? Am I worthy for the the bliss that is uh, offered to me, like Joseph Campbell said in his um, Hero of a Thousand Faces? He kept saying, follow your bliss, follow your bliss, because Joseph Campbell had an awakening, I think when he was 27, and he was helping translate some Indian, uh, Eastern Indian uh, scrolls and that sort of thing. He started understanding the societal mores and some of the dogma 
that is gifted to you when you're quite young by well-meaning individuals who really don't want you to suffer through life, but yet they really don't have answers for you on how to overcome that. So the answer is yes. I did manage to break away from the last vestiges of that, and when that occurred, um, I almost went into what some psychologists or psychiatrists have described as a schizophrenic state, where you truly lose touch with all reality as it is defined by human beings who are in the Matrix, so to speak. And that's why I love the Matrix movies, because that's pretty much how it feels, is that you go through this process where you're like, oh my gosh, uh, what is real? What is Memorex? Because you do have a dissociative experience. But then as you come back to, quote, quote, reality, uh, when you reintegrate with the Matrix, you know who you are at that point, and you're no longer in a place where people can control you, and you're also in a place where you just don't walk around with fear like you did before. At least that was my experience. One of the things that I have found so fascinating, and I've, I, I don't know of any other way to phrase this. It just sounds, it sounds odd in my ear, so it must sound a little strange when I say this uh, on the program, and that is that the the subject of transitioning or death and dying, the afterlife, is near and dear to my heart. Not because I've done it a number of times, but just because it intrigues me so much. Now, I'm not in a hurry, okay? Don't get me wrong. I'm not in a hurry to go. But I am so curious when I hear, say, famous people, whether in, in, in our, as the time, at the time of this conversation, whether it would be Kirk Douglas or I remember when Michael Jackson passed and it was the day before my 49th birthday. And I was really ticked because he took the air out of my sails um, or anybody else. I often wonder, what are they doing? What are they experiencing? And then I met a man <clears throat> who... Uh, is is a part of a, a uh, an institute, at least as far as teaching is concerned, uh, called the I think it's the Newton Institute, having to do with LBL or life between lives therapy. Fascinating stuff. I even had a session with him, and he took me back through hypnosis, and this was conscious. I was fully aware, and I could hear, and you know, and so forth. Took me back to my last life. I was living in the pioneer days. Really kind of cool. I, I, as a matter of fact, I was like, gee, I would love to go back here and just stay, <laughs> you know. But it took me all the way through and including my death, which was a very peaceful one. I sat down, I sat down in a wooden chair, leaned back against the wall of my cabin up in the mountains, put my feet up on the, the rail, uh, you know, where you tie off the horse and leaned back and said, oh, this life is good and I'm ready to go. And, and I went just like that. And then he took me through that space following the death into an incredible experience of gathering with the cluster of entities that I associate with from lifetime to lifetime. Um, classes, if I wanted to continue my education in that space. Uh, and, and all of this, uh, even a time of rest following the previous life. And it was just so interesting. Uh, I'm curious as to your observations about the afterlife uh, as you have experienced them, especially, again, we'll stay in the context of, say, going within. Right. Um, one of the things that occurred for me was when I woke up in 2010, I had already been working with some Native American communities because they had found out I had, I had been struck by lightning. And that was one of their understandings of if you're struck by lightning, that means you're picked by the Thunder Clan. And depending upon what tribe you belong to, this is significant. And so I was being trained uh, by... 16 different tribes uh, in different ways of shamanism and journeying and stuff like that, because up to that point I had had no training in that. What I didn't realize is I had been doing it since I was quite young. And when we talk about transitioning and what we call death or dying, and we call what we are experiencing now life, I learned how that's kind of twisted on its head. What, what I have experienced for myself, and I have chatted with other mystics and Mystics to me are any people who want to learn truth from within, okay? So that's my definition of what is a mystic. They want a one-to-one -one conversation with source. So that's a very broad definition, but that's I like calling people who are involved in that kind of work as mystics. So 
as I've chatted with more and more mystics and talked to them about what they see and what they experience, it's very customized to your own comfort levels. But what have I, what I have experienced of crossing over is that uh, this experience that we are currently involved in that we call life is actually vacation, that we are on an e-ticket ride and that this is like, you know, the old Walt Disney World and Walt Disney um, uh, amusement parks, you know, mm-hmm. used to get e-tickets and those yeah. were the most expensive and those were the most exciting rides. And believe it or not, this is Fantasy Island and this is what we are supposed to be involved in. And, and the reason we pick to incarn. Uh, our souls, which are incredibly vast and incredibly immense, um, we choose to incarn on planet Earth as, as humans, and we take on this three-dimensional body because this is this is an e-ticket ride. I mean, there are souls lining up, you know, when we just see humans getting more and more prolific on this planet. Well, why is that? Because this is an awesome place. You come here and they wipe your brain. You don't remember anything. And you come in as a baby, and you have adults who, who look after you, maybe, or maybe one of your adults die, or maybe the adults get divorced, or, you know, there's, there's, all, there's 8 million, or I'm sorry, 8 billion, we're up to 8 billion people on the planet now, but we have 8 billion realities all happening at once, converging on this point, this third rock from the stern, spinning around, and as a physicist, it's just amazing to me how all these dimensionalities coexist on this planet. And when people talk about there being strife and conflict, I'm like, well, no wonder, right? (laughs) Because you have all of these people doing this. So when you talk about what's going on in the non-physical, that is uh, what some people would refer to as reality. But but we're on vacation here, and we're supposed to be having fun. So if if you're not having fun, if you're in a suffering mode, if you're stressed out to the gills, then I re- highly recommend that you start reading some books and you start going within to calm yourself, to calm the thoughts, to calm your emotions so that you can tap into the reservoir that every soul has on this planet, that reservoir of, of wisdom and knowledge that is hiding, as the gods have said in your metaphor, in your heart. Mm-hmm. Because once you die, the experiences that I have had um, if you die, uh, which we all, you know, we all pay taxes, we all die, um, but when we croak and kick the bucket, we actually go back to our original form. And like you said, uh, there is a collection of non-physical beings that you incarn life after life because you enjoy the ride. And yet, at the same time, uh, I sit here and I've had conversations with people over the last few years and even longer than that uh, where I sit here and I go, this has to stop. We can't keep doing this. We're not learning, you know, the old saying, if you are, if you do not learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And we're not learning from history. And, 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 and we've got to find a way to stop this, this action from happening ever again and on and on and on. And yet it keeps happening over and over again. Nothing changes, really. And if that's the if, if your explanation is uh, the if, if that's the case, then none of this is really going to end. And it's not really up to us to try to bring it to an end. It's more up to us to try and put, if I can put it in this context, a a spin on it that allows us to continue moving forward in our lives. That doesn't mean that we, we feign ignorance, you know, uh, that, oh, no, we want nothing to do with this situation and we don't care. No, it's that it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong in your experience or from your experience, but it seems to me that the greatest help, if you will, that we can be in these situations is to go within. I agree with you uh, to a point. There is a practical, I'm pretty practical, okay? Actually, um, one of my little bylines is I call myself a practical mystic because 
you still have to live, even as you're um, walking your journey. And one of the words I'd like to throw out for you is that our job, uh, if you will, is to help evolve people, okay? So we're not trying to stop anything. Uh, we're trying to stop insanity as far as, like, uh, people look at somebody else and they don't like the way they look or they don't like the way they believe or pray, therefore I'm going to go off and I'm going to kill them, right? You know, that is the kind of behavior where we like to evolve beyond seeing that individuals, just because they're different, they're a threat, right? Mm. So that's where I, those are the word choices that I like to bring to these type of conversations is that the best thing we can do, yes, is go within. And we go within, and I tell people, look, it only takes three minutes a day, and I have a program called Three Minute Meditation, but really the point of it is just to remind people, look, just take three minutes a day, go within, set a timer. You don't have to be like these Buddhist monks that I, I worked with where, you know, they're the marathoners, they're the gold medal winners of, of meditation. These folks are like eight, 12 hours a day meditating, and, and they're doing great work helping us evolve. Mm-hmm. However... You've been born into a body, most of your listeners have been born into a body where you have to go to work or you're running a business or you're tending to children or you're an educator of some kind. So the best work you can do is take your three to five minutes a day in the morning and then before you go to bed at night, go within, connect with your source, whatever that looks like for you, and be the best person you can possibly be. When somebody shouts at you, try not to have the knee-jerk reaction of shouting back. Try to... Focus yourself to, well, this person is yelling at me, they're having a bad day, and try to set up mental tricks, mental tips, techniques, uh, emotional techniques that are, you know, there's a many, many wonderful teachers out there for all these things to use so that you can stand there and realize that's their problem. And it's not your problem. Your challenge, your job is to stay in as contented a place as you can, which is very difficult. If your dog has just died and he was a family companion of 17 years, right? Mm. Then -hmm. your job is to try to move yourself out of grief to anger. Like, it's better to be anger. And then blame. And then eventually you can bounce and get to a place of of contentment. But you're going to have to move through an emotional ladder, if you will, before there. So your work, your job, is to relax. Try to enjoy each moment. Uh, one of my favorite teachers is Eckhart Tolle, is a Canadian spiritual teacher who um, he had an awakening that was so profound that for two years he sat on park benches just staring at the beauty of the of the earth because he had such a uh, transition, so to speak, of, of mindset. But he is now teaching people how to have that presence in each moment so that when somebody is shouting at you, you can almost be an observer of that situation and go, wow, you're really having a bad day, and you don't have to get caught up in the mud and the grime of their bad emotional state. Forward, my friend called me uh, his bald brother. And that's how every time we <laughs> greeted each other, either on texts or uh, on the phone, hey, bald brother, how you doing, you know, kind of stuff. Um, but he and I used to talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And he was a Rastafarian. I'm actually looking for a Rastafarian to have on this program to talk about that philosophy. Uh, And what little I know about it is that they don't believe in doctors. Uh, He didn't. And that's the reason why he passed away so early. Um, And and yet the conversations that we had about this stuff, we would both – in the first part of the conversation, we would both get really wound up and really charged up over what was happening, right? And so it's kind of like, okay, we were venting and getting that stuff out, and then we would bring it back. We would bring it back to the spiritual, bring it back to Jah, bring it back to God, and so forth. And, uh, you know, and it's like, I have a feeling that sometimes we have to do that in order to, uh, it's like we can't go over, under, around, we have to go through this stuff. It's like you just said, uh, you know, going that, going up that emotional ladder. You can't skip a rung. I know a lot of people when they're walking steps, they'll jump up, they'll skip a step. Okay, they'll do two steps at a time. All right, that's you know, but you have to 
go up each ladder, uh, each rung on the ladder. And sometimes I think that venting like that, if you can find someone to do that with, where <laughs> let's say you're not in your car, okay, because <laughs> what can happen is you start getting excited and the exce- their foot presses a little harder on the accelerator, not because of anything anybody's doing outside, but because you're getting charged up and then you create a bigger problem for yourself. What do you think about especially that aspect? Do you think, do we need a place to go? I mean, I've, I've heard of scream therapy, all right? Um, and, and of course I've been in programs where they also do, uh, um, I'm not sure what the name of it is, but they take pillows and they bang them against the seat of a chair, you know, to get out whatever aggression is, is still in there, uh, during that particular period of the, of the exercise. What are your thoughts about, uh, finding those, we'll call them safe spaces to do that or safe people to, to share that with? I think as long as you know as an individual what it is you're trying to accomplish. Um, we all learn different ways. That's one of the wonderful things I loved about my getting my master's in education. Um, it was mainly for myself. It was because I wanted to learn how could I better educate myself. So I got a master's in education, right? And that was my focus was like, how can I be a better scholar? And one of the fascinating things from that experience was the fact that I learned all these different ways that people learn. And one of the things, that's why I don't uh, really judge like screen therapy or somebody taking pillows and beating the crap out of an inanimate object or whatever, because you have folks who are very kinesthetic, as they say. They really internalize their lessons through physical activity. Well, some of those people that I've studied that are mystics that had a lot of trauma or abuse growing up, such as alcoholics, alcoholism, or abusive parents, or what have you, um, they experienced a lot of their life through a very physically not helpful situation, uh, being beaten or what have you. So being able to get that out of your own system and do it in a safe way is incredibly healing, not only for themselves, but as some of my Hindu friends say, there's seven generations of your genetic line that are going to be healed because you've dealt with the, the crap. You know, you've dealt with the stuff mm. that was handed to you, and this is part of that evolution I was talking about. You evolve that very horrific situation or experience. You evolve it, you rotate it to where you're in a safe place with all these people, and you get it out of your own system, out of your own experience and trauma, and then you can be at peace. And so one of the things I like to share with folks is as long as you are not harming a minor, as long as you are not harming people uh, uh, that are unable to give you permission, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, then uh, as long as you're not harming or injuring other people and it helps you feel better, then it's good. Now we have these wonderful folks we like to call psychopaths and sociopaths. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about folks who don't identify in that way who are in touch with their emotions and their awareness. And as long as you have permission of those people around you and you're in a safe place, what you're you're doing, and as long as you're not affecting minors and people who are incapacitated, Mm. it's funny how we have to clarify all this. (laughs) I know. Isn't that amazing that we've got to go through this laundry list? We've got to actually go through that because there are are individuals who who make assumptions. but anyway, as long as you have permission from everybody, if it helps you feel better, then I call that healing because you have moved up the rungs of the ladder. Such as, I was in grief. I had had a situation occur to me that was so traumatic that I literally could not get my mind around it. So I was seeing myself moving from anger. I went from blame, then I went to anger, which is lower on the rungs. And then I started falling into grief, and then I hit despair, and then I was depressed. So I was going down, and my ship was going down. I was captain of my ship. I could feel myself going down. I had no idea where my life raft was, right? So as I hit rock bottom and hit that depression, I realized there I've got to find ways to feel better. And one of those things that I did was I went out and started watching uh, very violent films, I went to a gun range and got really good at firing off weaponry with people that were (laughs) very educated, much more than myself. And I just couldn't believe the pleasure I derived out of just firing the crap 
out of a inanimate object with a high-powered rifle. <laughs> that was very good for me. And then I moved on to chopping wood, and I had to be very physical in getting out of my state of grief because I also know myself to be a very kinesthetic learner. So with that knowledge base, I recommend to other people learn more about yourself and how you process information, how do you process trauma. And that way when you start seeing that your ship is sinking and you're starting to head for depression, realize that if you're blaming other people, you're higher up on the emotional scale than if you hit anger. And then once you hit anger, realize anger is good because it's keeping you out of depression because depression's gray, right? You don't want to do anything when you're depressed. You're you're in grayville and uh, nothing sounds good. Everything is bad. It's just burned ash as far as you're concerned. Mm. And and so if you can, my job as a shaman in many of the Native American cultures that I work with, my job is to go, as they say, poke the bear. Yeah. What do you stress? They will they will say, Janine, we need you to go poke the bear. This person's depressed. They've been depressed for over six months. They're starting to not shower. They're you know you can tell you you can always tell when somebody's just like really in that pity party and they're just rolling around in the mud, right? Yeah. And so they're like, you need to go poke the bear. My job is to go get them angry. You get them so pissed off at me that they start chasing me around the ceremonial space. And when that happens, then the other wisdom keepers of that particular tribe will jump in and protect me from the anger of that person. And we all celebrate. We all celebrate. We're like, yeah, you're angry. And see, they got out of depression. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this is a safe space, and I hope I haven't taken up too much time. But these are different ways that I have seen very positive results from what could be perceived from the outside as very harmful situations. But... Everybody knew what was going on, and people knew what the focus and the goal was. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that you uh, even make that comment about uh, taking up too much time, uh, only because I get that comment quite often when someone does go on and on and on, which is the whole point of this. It's, you know, I'm trying to cut back my dialogue because I want our listeners to hear more from our guests. And and it's like the universe is the one that's in control of this. I want you to know that, Janine, that I am just along for the ride. The universe is asking the questions uh, and it's using my voice. That's that's the way I have been doing this for for years and years and years. And uh, so uh, there's never an issue as far as time, because, you know, we'll take as much time as as is available, as we need to, as we can and so on and so forth. And as the universe uh, allots for us, because. That's one of the other aspects of this, too, is that uh, when you're talking about grief or you're talking about depression, and and I have to tell you that I'm sitting here, I'm going, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the first thought that came to me was the Saturday Night Live thing. "Mm Mm-hmm. Fire bad. Depression bad. Water good. You know, I was like, okay, where is that coming from? Um, But um, time, even though it's a human construct, it's only in our heads. Okay, it's only in our intellectual, if you will, minds. We'll we'll accept that for the moment that it we need to take the time to do this, don't we? That a lot of us, I mean, we hear this all the time from um, members of of first responders who uh, get injured, from the military who get injured, uh, from the football, the sports players, the athletes who get injured, especially the, specifically the males. Uh, no, 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 I'm fine. It's no big deal. Just give me a shot of cortisone and I'm on my way, you know. And the reality is that it doesn't work that way. And then what you end up doing, if you don't take the time to deal with these internal things, they end up manifesting externally. I agree with that. And, and one and of the things that's what ahead. we need that's what we need to do, right? We need to take the time. How do we do that? Well, you just take three minutes a day. That's how you start. You just take three minutes. Okay. And everybody can usually carve out three minutes. And you set your timer so that you don't go over and you don't worry about like, you know, getting lost in your own thoughts or what have you. And you focus on that three minutes a day. I mean, you take three minutes in the morning and three minutes at night. And usually people can carve out six minutes in their day to take time for themselves. And that's how you start. And then 
after about a week, I say bump it up a minute every week. So, like, then you do four minutes in the morning and four minutes at night the next week and the next week and next week. And don't go too crazy past 15 minutes if you want. But most folks can connect with their... um, can connect with their source, can connect with their higher self, uh, connect with their wisdom uh, with with 15 minutes uh, a day when they start getting pretty good at it. Now, if you want to go longer, that's fine, but that's what I educate and try to help people evolve into because, as I say, you know, you've never done this before. Most people have never done this before. To stop moving, sit, and just focus on your breathing, you know, really? I'm like, one of my favorite books, and I wish I could remember the author, but I can only remember the title because it was so good. It was, Don't Just Do Something, Sit There. It was by a barber somebody, I think. <laughs> anyway, I apologize. I can't remember the, I can't remember the author, but I remember I just took a look at that, that title, and I went, that is brilliant, because that's exactly what we are asking you to do. Don't do something. Just sit there. I like that. I like that a lot. It's uh, it's um, it's interesting that you used uh, you used an example earlier that made me think of the Buddha. Um, uh, and um, Siddhartha, we named one of our cats Siddhar- Sid Siddhartha. He's anything but the Buddha. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the example of the Buddha coming, finally coming to the Bodhi tree and sitting down, um, after searching for enlightenment, it finally dawned on him that if he just did that, if he just sat down and did nothing, boom, there it was, which is just the opposite of what the human brain tells us that we are to do. Um, you say three minutes, we, we are playing on this program during the breaks, these, these one-minute meditations that I, I, I found, they're just short little things. It's not a situation where it takes you so in-depth that you shouldn't be operating heavy machinery. Um, but uh, but we, we, I, I thought this would be really good to provide, uh, and it gives people a focus. I think one is on peace and love and trust and, and, uh, and judgment and so forth and, and those kinds of things. And I'm not a meditator, at least not in the in the uh, traditional sense, in the conventional sense. Uh, I take the words of Teresa. I believe it was Teresa of Avila who said that God is amongst the pots and the pans. Well, well, my pots and pans are zeros and ones, uh, computer monitors, and a, a digital uh, audio console. <laughs> Those are my pots and pans, and microphones and headphones. And when I am in this place, in this, it's, this is like, it's just like my church, I guess. Is that a perspective that you would want people to try to, to take with a place that they do spend a lot of time in? Even, I mean, if it is their job that they spend most of the time in, even if it is that, you know, their boss is a real pain in the, and, you know, and they really don't want to be doing this, you know, I've been there as well, um, to try to turn that around to have a different view of where they are and what they're doing as more of a sacred space than, a, than a, a, an awful place that they just can't wait to get away from. Well, I happen to like uh, St. Teresa of the Little Flowers. I think that's lovely that you picked her. Um, yeah, recovering Catholic that I am. So, <laughs> <laughs> I studied the saints, especially the the mystics, uh, very extensively. And I kind of avoided the martyrs. But um, one of the things that I would like to share with your folks is this, is that the whole purpose of meditation and um, my my family have always been uh, a lot of tradespeople, so I used to watch my dad lay bricks and stuff like that. And so one of the things that I like to share with people is meditation is the mortar between the bricks. So you have these blocks of time where you're making money or you're driving the kids to uh, classes or you're engaged in some sort of external environment. So meditation starts off as uh, the lines between those blocks of time where you can go within 
you know, take two minutes. Take a, you know, I love your one-minute meditations. You know, take a minute, take two minutes, and then at the end of the day, take three minutes. And you can take these little pockets of time to go within. And what eventually starts happening is that as you do that, the blocks of time where you are engaged in other things, you almost become an observer, kind of a distanced observer to other engagements that are moving forward, okay? And so eventually you get to a point where the meditation actually moves across the, the bricks, like when they would make walls and they put the stucco over the brick walls to, to be able to put other things on that wall, um, you would find that. Mm. And so that's one of the things that is one of my favorite metaphors is that eventually you can be like Sister Teresa and you will find God in the pots and pans. You will find peace. You will find contentment. You'll find happiness. You'll find joy. But it starts first with mortaring around your bricks of time first. Mm. It, that's the discipline. That's the work. That's the evolution that your mindset needs first. Why? Because you give yourself brilliant advice. How many people have said, oh my gosh, I wish I had listened to myself when X, Y, Z, right? <laughs> yeah. So where, where do you go for that advice? You've got to yeah. stop. you got to sit. Just take three mm-hmm. minutes to listen to your own good advice because you give people, other people, fabulous advice all the time. Yep. Yeah. By the way, I, th- I, think you know, I agree. You yeah, know? I think the book that you were referring to, "Don't Do Something, Just Sit There," uh, yeah. Sylvia Burstein. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 A mindfulness re uh, retreat with Sylvia uh, uh, Burstein. I believe that's how it's pronounced, or Burstein. Uh, right. And what's interesting on on uh, on my search here, it, then it throws up a picture of. Um, Let's see, who is this? I've got to find out the guy's name, and I can't remember who it is now. Um, he had the Crystal Cathedral uh, years ago. He's since passed. But he's got a, it's got a picture of him, and it says here, don't just, don't just sit there, do something. But I prefer, <laughs> I prefer Sylvia's, don't just do something, sit there. Because sometimes that's what we need to do. And by the way, I, I want you to know that uh, I was ahead of my time because at 14, I came up with the idea of the iPhone. But I didn't have the wherewithal to bring it to fruition. And, of course, Steve Jobs gets all the credit. And, of course, you know I'm, I'm kidding about that. But that's what happens with a lot of people. I had that idea 10 years ago or, you know, whatever and, and so forth. And, and uh, of course, then you get into the whole thing. Of, and they stole it from me. It's like, well, I don't think so. Uh, there is no exclusivity to ideas because we're all connected. And to that extent, because we are all connected... How does this going within help us to, uh, once we have established and nourished <clears throat> the, the connection with self, how do we then turn that around, so to speak, or encompass others in that? And I'm not talking about encouraging other people to go within. I'm talking now about bringing other people, let's just say, into the, the modern vernacular would be into our network. I, I think I would prefer into our community or family. And I love that definition of family. You know, uh, uh, you, know you, you're, you, you, you can't choose your uh, relatives, but you can choose your family, so to speak. You can create your own family if you haven't been able to incorporate your blood relatives into that, uh, into that genre. How do, but how, how can we... Do, do we put out the message that, hey, I would really like like-minded, like-souled individuals to come, come into my circle and so forth? Well, I have about three minutes before I'm going to have to go. Okay. But I want to, to share with you my, my little perspective on that. When you focus on your own behavior, when you focus on your own thoughts, and you strive to be the best you know how to be in each moment with constant attention given to becoming better and better, people will fall out of your network who are toxic to you, and you, that will make room for new people to come in, and you will attract them just like a magnet. All right. Now, the, I don't like the magnet analogy because unlike 
uh, forces attract on a magnet. <laughs> mm. but mm-hmm. but not as many people are as familiar with oscilloscopes as I am. So I like, you know, when I started talking about harmonizing your oscilloscopes, people look at me and go, I don't know what you're saying. I just stop that. But mm. you know how when you work with sound or something like that and you put something in sympathetic harmony, such as if you press the C key on one piano, it'll vibrate the C string on another instrument or on another piano, correct? That harmonic resonance that happens. Well, the same is true with our vibration. So it's not a matter of you going out and changing other people. It's just making sure that your particular frequency and harmonics are vibrating in such a way that by sympathetic resonance, people are going to want to be around you who are of like mind. You don't have to seek them out. Mm. And, of course, that also uh, uh, destroys the myth of the uh, saying that you can't change other people. Then the reality is that you can, but you're not going to be doing it consciously. You're going to be doing it almost surreptitiously by virtue of wanting to draw like-minded people to you. The, those other people who are not of like mind are going to say, this, this, this person's a nut job, which I've heard many times, um, and I don't want to have anything to do with them. So y- you, you tend to push away those people. And, and the thing is, is there's no force required. There's no control required. It just happens naturally. It's exactly. very organic. Exactly. It's a very soft, it's a much softer system on that. Yeah. And uh, with that, my dear friend, I am going to have to bow out of this delightful conversation. Well, I hope that we can do it again soon because this was fascinating and I greatly appreciate the time you've given us and a reminder to our listeners. Finding the Divine, it is a glimpse into the realm of God by Janine Bolin. And uh, Janine, first of all, before we let you go, and again, I know you need to run here. Uh, website address that people can find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Well, that is through my company, and I have a special um, a special going on for folks. So it's www.the8gates.com. The number eight is literally the number eight. So it's the8gates, with an S, dot com, backslash Richard. And for your listeners, I have a special deal going on on that site. And as long as the servers run, your listeners can go to that specific page, www.the8h.com, backslash Richard, and they will find uh, deals and discounts on all of my products and services. Fantastic. I hope that we can get you back again. I normally have three final questions to ask, but I will hold those till the next time we get together. And again, I thank you so much for giving us the time. And if you're in Santa Barbara one of these days, let's uh, get in studio and have another chat. You bet I will. Take care. Have Mm. a great day. Many blessings. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until next time, love Talal.